Destination Eat Drink is up next, but first, listen to this great other show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. On the next Back to You with me, Howard Sudbury, and my co-host, Steve Baskerville. We will talk about my overuse of social media and Steve's non-use of it. What's wrong with me? Ah, that's a whole nother show. Back to You with Howard Sudbury and Steve Baskerville. Back to You, an Opie show, only on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Great talk radio isn't dead. It just moved a better place. Radiomisfits.com. Biscuits with jelly. Mustang Grapes, and answering the eternal question, should I see Ella Fitzgerald or pay the power bill? This week, we're talking with singer and musician Ruthie Foster. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson, host of Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. Each week, we take a deep dive into a different foodie subject and take a look at how travel impacts it. This week, it's Ruthie Foster. She's a great blues musician and a singer, and she has a fantastic new record out called Ruthie Foster's Big Band Live at the Paramount. We'll talk to Ruthie about stuff like meeting her idol Coco Taylor and exploding jars of Mustang grapes, cornbread, and cooking with her daughter. But first, let me ask you to subscribe to the podcast. You can get it delivered automatically to your device just by subscribing wherever you get podcasts, whether it's at Stitcher or Spotify or Pandora or Apple or Google or wherever. All the podcast platforms have it. Or you can go to my website, DestinationEatDrink.com. Click on the podcast tab. It's also available at Radio Misfits. Ruthie Foster is a singer and a musician known for her blues and gospel-influenced songs, and she's had quite the career. Nominated twice for a Grammy, she's won a bunch of blues awards, and she was inducted into the Texas Music Hall of Fame at the Austin Music Awards. And when I talked to her, I found out she is hilarious. She tells me so many great and funny stories. Maybe the best one is about seeing Ella Fitzgerald when she lived in New Jersey and how she decided to see Ella instead of paying the power bill. So um, let's talk to Ruthie Foster about all things music and all things food. Destination Eat Drink. Ruthie, we're all living under the cloud of this pandemic right now, a lot of people in their houses. And I'm just wondering how you're doing uh, during the pandemic. You know, but I'm, I'm actually having a pretty uh, relaxing time of it. I'm, you catch me on the tail end of uh, my hiatus. I took a hiatus from uh, touring uh, about four or five months. And so this turned up. And so this is pretty much just uh, life as it was for me up to... Up to uh, you know, last October is when I got off the road. You know, I'm getting a lot of chance, a lot of time with my daughter, Maya, who's uh, my heart, the apple of my eye. Of course. And that's been really great, you know, getting a chance to hang out with her more. And I'm getting a, a third grade education all over again <laughs> <laughs> with the online learning. Oh, no, fractions. You have to do any fractions? I hope not. Oh, my gosh, yes. 
and I, you know, I said goodbye to all of that stuff when I got a, you know, a business manager. So it's <laughs> like, and I do all of this new math now, and it's just, it's crazy, you know. It she makes me feel dumb, <laughs> but I'm getting there. She's teaching me well. So a lot of folks that I know are rediscovering their love of cooking at home during this pandemic. Mm-hmm. Have you been doing a lot of cooking, Ruthie? I have. Yes. I am, you know, you caught me. I'm looking at recipes right now because me and my my girl, we're going to have a date night tonight. Nice. And uh, so I'm looking at things to do with, uh, with salmon tonight. So. Okay. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, fish is my, my fish is my deal now because my girl, she's a, a pescatarian. So okay, I'm learning how to cook with fish. You know, I grew up cooking country, you know, you know, meat and potatoes and, you know, beef and chicken. But uh, I'm finding out that there's a lot you can do with, uh, with fish. So yeah, I'm having a good time with that. And, and uh, me and Maya cook together too. Uh, we made quesadillas together just a couple of days ago. Oh, good. So Maya likes quesadillas. What are some of her other favorite things for Mama Ruthie to make for? You know, she will eat whatever as long as it doesn't have too many vegetables in it, but she doesn't <laughs> know. I, I have a way of putting vegetables in everything for her because it's just good for her. But yeah, she's a, she's a normal kid. She likes her ice cream and pizza and all, but I change things up by having us make our own pizzas, and so that makes a, a really nice family night for us. That's a good trick. Once the child has, you know, their hands in it, they're making it themselves. They've got a real um, affinity for it. You know, they made it, so they want to like it. Right, and that's that's what happens with her. You know, I went and got the pizza stone and all of that, and you have to put that in the oven before you. You put your crust on, and so she reminds me of things that we need to do. Mom, you know, we want to try something different with our pizza this week, you know? So we're having fun with it. You talk a lot, Ruthie, about your mom's influence and your grandmother's influence on your life. Um, Were they good cooks when you were growing up? What kind of stuff did they make for you? Oh, Lord, have mercy. Yes, they were. Gosh, I grew up with good cooks. I do good to even, you know, sit in the same kitchen with my aunties and my relatives. I I have to say cornbread was like a a huge deal for uh, my mother growing up. That and chicken and dressing. And she would make that for special occasions. It's like a country thing, you know, Um, chicken and dressing to fill anybody up. You know, she'd keep all this day-old bread in the freezer forever. And then it was time to make the dressing with uh, uh, sometimes cornbread, uh, cornbread dressing. And um, it's funny. I was just thinking about my my grandmother. We call her Big Mama. Big Mama would make these yeast biscuits that were just awesome. Oh. Yeah. And uh, I miss those. I haven't made yeast biscuits in forever. Now you reminded me. I need to do that. Might be time. Might be time to get the skillet out. Did did she cook it in a like a a, a cast iron uh, skillet or how how did she cook her biscuits? Yes, she she did them in a in a skillet, uh, a couple of skillets because there were a lot of us around when we knew Big Mama was making biscuits. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, when that yeast comes out, we know something something's about to happen. Stay and, close. Uh, yeah, 
she'd run us out of the kitchen, but when it was time to eat, we were right there circling the, the back door waiting. You know, I grew up in um, a rural area just north of Austin here and uh, about two hours north, uh, right on the Brazos River is where my folks, a lot of my folks still still live. And so we grew up with um, biscuits and, and gravy and rice. Um, a lot of my uncles, they still farm there. So lots of corn, uh, watermelon, tomatoes. We, we picked tomatoes every summer growing up as a kid. So food was a, a huge, huge deal to the family um, growing up and raising our own cattle. We still have cattle down on the on the property there at the river, raising our own pigs. You know, I grew up country, and uh, it was a big deal to uh, gather everybody on Sundays just after church and uh, and have a big meal together. So this was your whole family. You had the parents, the grandparents. You probably had a load of cousins, too, for a big Sunday dinner. Yeah. Yeah, I grew up with uh, 22 cousins. Oh, my yeah. goodness. All right. <laughs> you're you're going to need some extra extra seats at the table, I think. Yeah. You know, not all at once, you know, but when we all got together, yeah, that was a, a lot of us, and we spent a lot of time outside because that's what you do is kills. Uh, you don't spend time inside. We were climbing trees. Um, you know, Big Mama would have us uh, – to while we're out there playing, why are you out there? Take a bucket and go pick up pick up some uh, dewberries. Why are you out there? Why don't you take a bucket and go pick some grapes? You know, and um, Mustang uh, grapes. Can yeah, that's it. You got it. Yeah, those yeah. those grow wild in Texas. I had never had Mustang grapes until I had lived in Texas, and I was like, where have these been all my life? <laughs> <laughs> They're so great. They really are, and I miss that. I miss those days of uh, just biscuits and and uh, grape jelly. Uh, Big Mama had a huge pantry where she kept all of that stuff. Uh, she canned everything, tomatoes, green beans. Uh, we had to pick peaches for a while. I had an uncle who had a peach orchard. Yeah, and the peach tree had, uh, it had uh, two different jobs. The peach tree... Would, would hold peaches, but it also is where we got our switches when it was time uh -oh. when it was when we got in trouble. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> you did not want to get a whooping with a with a peach tree switch because it would never give up. And and did you have to go out and pick your own switch, or um, would uh, would <laughs> the the person who was applying it. the switch <laughs> go and get the switch for you? Yeah, you had to go pick your own, and of course, oh. you know, as a kiddo. You know, it's the longest walk ever. You know, it's the <laughs> long, it's that mile walk, you know. It's only a few yards, but it's just a mile walk from the back porch. And you take your time, and you're looking for the smallest little bitty switch that you can find. Right, what can I get away with? Right, and you come back with that, and, and you know, they look at you and go, uh-uh, you know, try again. <laughs> so, yeah, I remember those walks. Not to say that I got a lot of whoopings, but once in a while. Right. Well, you and I are about the same age. And so, you know, we were growing up in an era where, you know, it's a different, it was a different time, you know, and, uh, it really was getting, yeah. getting, getting your, getting your butt spanked was, uh, was, you know, part of growing up. 
Yeah, it was just a reminder of, of who's in charge and, uh, you know, how to, it was respect more than anything that we got reminded of. Yeah, I think I had a hard time learning that who's in charge lesson. <laughs> so, Ruthie, yeah. when you got when you got a little bit older and started hanging out with your friends, I'm wondering what it's like up there um, north of Austin in that rural area. Were there places that you would go and hang out with your friends and, you know, um, I don't know, grab a burger or grab an ice cream? You know, what, what, what kinds of places were up there when you were growing up, maybe as a teenager? As a teenager, well, you know, we lived uh, there in the country, and the nearest school was about 10 minutes away, so we were bused to our schools, um, so hanging out with friends was something that I didn't really get a chance to do unless it was during school, and bringing the cousins back in, it was usually a cousin okay, uh, and their friends. And so I can tell you, I guess it would be about eighth grade. I remember hanging out with a couple of cousins. You know, they were twins, Sherry and Sharon. And uh, Sherry had a boyfriend who was the quarterback for the football team. So he was very popular, and that made us popular because right. we hung out with <laughs> with them. Right. And he had a Mustang, and I remember hanging out at the, the local Dairy Queen. That was where everybody went. Oh, cool. Dairy Queen. Yeah, that was uh, it was a big deal to just go get in the car, pile all of us in the car, and go over to Dairy Queen and order one of those hunger busters and uh, and a milkshake and just kind of hang out. And I do recall that. That's funny. I hadn't thought about that in years. And um, I remember getting back home. This was during the lunch period. You know, we would go out and go get a hamburger. And then Sherry's boyfriend would drop us off uh, back at school again. And, um, you know, while we're in the car, we wouldn't just hang out at the Dairy Queen. We would kind of ride around certain parts of town, right. then come back. And then uh, I remember getting on the bus and coming back home, and my mother was waiting for me at the front door <laughs> with her arms crossed. And I'm thinking, what's going on? What did I do? You know, you know, you know when mom's standing there and she's got this look on her face and her arms across. And uh, I walk in and she says, "So, uh, you riding around town with boys, huh?" <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself as I'm putting my books down, "How the hell did she find out about that?" Word gets around, Ruthie. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and uh, that's what happened. It was uh, me and my big family and a couple of big mouths. Somebody saw us riding around, and they uh, they called my mother. They called Shirley. Girl, I saw your daughter. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. Ooh, okay. Can't get away with nothing. <laughs> I just went out for a burger with my cousin. Right, right. Oh, man. So I guess the question is, what, uh, what kind of... Because to me, one of the big parts of growing up is like when you're driving around in the car, what radio station you're listening to. So I'm wondering what are the what kind of music are you listening to? What radio station are you listening to while you're cruising around with your hamburger and your milkshake? We listen to, I should say, I loved uh, Natalie Cole because at that time she had a, what was that song? This will be 
an everlasting love. Oh, right, that one. Woo! Right. <laughs> and my cousin singing that one. Um, and that was um, Always and Forever, that one. Yeah. Those songs come back. Yeah, that's what we're listening to and singing to. Sure. So your new record is called uh, Ruthie Foster's Big Band, live at the Paramount. It's recorded at the Paramount mm-hmm. Theater in Austin, a place I've been to, one of those gorgeous old-style theaters, really beautiful. And your daughter introduces you to start the album. And as I'm listening to this record, I, I think to myself, how did Ruthie get her daughter to do this? Because I know when my nieces were little like that, if you want them to do anything, you had to bribe them. So I don't know if you had to bribe your daughter, but I'm just saying from my point of view, I always had to bribe my nieces if I wanted them to do anything. How did you get your daughter to do that? Was she excited? Was she nervous? How did she feel about it? You know, she was very excited about it when I asked her. Uh, I, I asked her and she, she told me about it and then she, she said, yeah, I can do that. Hmm. And it turns out my daughter is, she is very social. And so this gave her a chance. First of all, she, she calls me Yaya. I'm her Yaya. So this gives her a chance to hang out with Yaya backstage, too. And she just gets such a, kick, a big kick out of watching my shows anyway. She grew up watching me. you know. And so um, she's been watching me since she was a kid. I'd bring her out and let her, you know, basically blow bubbles on the microphone before I start. (laughs) So she's been doing that for a while. Uh, But she was very nervous that night. Yeah, I was surprised how nervous she was. But uh, she pulled it off. She really did. And she got a huge kick out of being able to uh, introduce me as her mom. Yeah. Yeah, she did a great job with that. I listened to this record um, live at the Paramount, and... I just I go through so many different feelings when I listen to it. It's like uh, you you transport me when I listen to it. One moment it's like the 1940s, and I'm in a theater in Red Bank, New Jersey, with Count Basie playing. And then another minute I'm in church, and then another minute I'm on a second line in New Orleans. There's so many different genres and feelings in this album. How how, how do you put it all together? Yeah, you know I didn't. It basically, <laughs> I kind of let it speak for itself. I, I decided I wanted to put the songs that I had, I had already um, released to uh, and have them done up in, a, in the big band way. And um, some folks put me in touch with John Beasley. So he came up with that New Orleans style mm-hmm. for um, the one song. And I thought that was just brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, and this was actually after having a real big conversation with him too. And, and at, and he, he dug around in my brain about different types of styles that I do like. And he really brought it when it came to the arrangement for, um, for that one. I think it was, uh, I want to be ready mm-hmm. when Joy comes back. This is, has that new, new Orleans style. The rest, you know, it was just about working with the, working with the fellas and figuring it out. I had to include the two songs that I, I've always loved, Fly Me to the Moon, yes, uh, the Frank Sinatra version that Quincy Jones, uh, along with the Count Basie Orchestra, actually he arranged that one. That was just one of my favorite songs to do. I used to, I used to front a big band in the Navy. I was in a Navy band 
for four years. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that was something I used to do. Um, what was the other tune? Oh, Mac the Knife. Hey, right. Who, who doesn't like Ella Fitzgerald? And Gorgeous. I, you know, I think it, I included in the show my story about getting a chance to actually hear Ella Fitzgerald yes. when I lived up in uh, New Jersey, New York. Tell that story here, if you if you wouldn't mind, Ruthie, because it's so entertaining. <laughs> well, sure. It's um, gosh, I, I guess the, the last few years of her life, she did uh, she did a show at Radio City Music Hall. And me and my then husband uh, were walking down, um, walking around in that area, and we saw that Ella was kind of coming to town. I mean, she lived up in Yonkers. She lived in in the area. But Ella was going to perform, and we thought, hmm, we just got here. We had just moved to New Jersey, and we barely had uh, furniture. I think we went and, and borrowed a couple of lawn chairs from our neighbors <laughs> right. to sit on and we had an air mattress we had no refrigerator so we we would pack all of our groceries in between the the back door and the the screen door with snow this is december when we moved to new york to move to new jersey that was our oh, refrigerator man. we right, put our right. eggs in there we put our milk in <laughs> so you know don't open the screen door just open the door and then you get your milk and you put it back um and we had not a lot of money, but we had enough to maybe uh, turn the heat on, if uh, not the heat, but the uh, the lights on, if we just hung on to what we had. Uh, we had a radiator, so there was heat in the house. But we were walking down the street, and we saw that uh, Ella was going to play Radio City Music Hall, and we stopped, and we looked at each other and went, oh, my gosh, Ella's going to play. Ella's going to sing. And we have just enough to get our electricity turned on. Um I, I don't know. Should we see Ella? <laughs> and we both looked at each other. And went, oh, hell yeah. We're going to see Ella. And we're going home to a dark house. And that is fine. We got candles. We, we got enough to get candles and two tickets to see Ella Fitzgerald. Let's go. <laughs> That's what this, we did. This was the right decision, Ruthie. I, I don't think I anyone would dispute that. <laughs> Yeah, so we we saw Ella and went home to a dark house, and we were fine with it. So this would have been when, like in the 80s sometime? Yes. Um, gosh. Uh, yeah, your guess is good as mine. It, my my yeah. brain is very bad with uh, years, but yeah. Yeah, just before she passed. And she had to help help going out to the stage. I remember that. Oh, wow. So, yeah, but once they popped her up in that chair, and she started snapping and counting the band off, it was just golden all night long. New York, New Jersey in the 80s, it must have been a bit of a culture shock for you, a lady coming from rural Texas. Uh, Do you remember any places that you used to hang out uh, in New York, New Jersey? Probably had a tough time finding home cooking in New New Jersey. Maybe not. I don't know. But uh, what was it like being a, a woman coming from Texas up to New Jersey and New York? Well, you have to remember, I was in the Navy before that. I was stationed okay. in California, in San All Diego. Right. Yeah, so I didn't, I didn't go straight from Texas. I'm not sure I would have done that at all had I not been in the, the service for a while. Um, yeah, I was stationed in uh, Charleston, South Carolina, and then went went straight up I-95. Oh, and okay. Lived in uh, Passaic, 
uh, New Jersey. I lived right across the way from a, a park there in Passaic. And I would catch the train um, from there and get off at uh, the path train and get off at West Forest and walk around in the village. And uh, it was wonderful. It really was. It, it really is just a different world living in that area. And uh, I was in the city every year. I mean, uh, every day I'd get up and go write songs for Atlantic Records. Oh, nice. Uh, which I had just signed with Atlantic as a, a songwriter. And so that was my job. And, and you know, this is a dream job. Uh, you know, I'm 20-something years old, 20, I think 26, 27. And I get to, you know, grab my guitar in the morning and uh, jump, the, jump on the train. Uh, I catch the train from Hoboken, the past train from Hoboken over to West Forest. And just uh, spend the whole day writing, writing with people who wrote for folks like Cindy Lauper, Barbara Streisand, um, Anita Baker, uh, Taylor Dane, all these incredible people who wrote, uh, Whitney Houston, who wrote beautiful songs, ballads, and uh, that we were, you know, we're hearing every day. I still remember sitting and talking with the fellow who wrote, I want, what is it, uh, Run to You for uh, Whitney Houston. And oh, talk wow. about how that song came about. Yeah. And then uh, there was uh, meeting people like Guy Davis, um, who was, uh, uh, he was uh, moonlighting as an actor, and he was on As the World Turns. <laughs> he was As the World Turns, <laughs> and then he'd come play blues on Bleecker Street um, every Tuesday night. And he let me sit in uh, on his breaks. That's how I got into playing uh, in the in the village. Through, you know, people like that, and then hang out with them later on that night and go get a his thing was to go get a slice and go to this chocolate place and grab some chocolate. Oh, cool! You know, it was a life. I loved it. That's uh, that's a way to live in your twenties, I think. <laughs> right, <laughs> and it was just, it was it was scary moving to a place like that, going from you know. A small town girl like me and here I am in New York and and this is what I do you know writing songs is what I do and and singing and all of these these really cool nightclubs and uh places like the speakeasy that Bob Dylan and Odetta started out in those places were still open you could still go and and sit in and do an open mic night uh of course the, the owner uh, wouldn't turn the heat on, you know, so you'd have to go and sing with your coat on, your cap on and everything. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the owner's just cheap. You just sit there and you, and you had a two-drink minimum. You had to drink something and uh, and then go, go sing your song and then go hit the next open mic night. It was a, a real scene, really, really cool scene. And uh, I loved it. So you're playing your original songs? You know, I did. I did play a few original songs because I joined a um, uh, a songwriters group through uh, BMI or ASCAP, one of the uh, performing rights organizations there. And so I got a chance to do a lot of my own material and uh, and a lot of blues too. I was learning a lot about how to entertain an audience. Better yet, when you're in New York, it's about how to keep an audience there. 
you want to keep them in their seats because they can go hear music anywhere all night right, long. Right. Wow. So it's really about keeping them captivated. And so that's about really good covers. Um, I think I may have fooled a couple of people into thinking that I was Tracy Chapman once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was the time Fast Car was coming out, right? Late 80s. Yes, it was. So I, I would get people who were a little, they'd walk in, you know, especially tourists, they'd walk in and their head's <laughs> going sideways and they're thinking, is it her? It's got to be her. She's got dreadlocks. She's black. She sings and plays guitar. It's Tracy Chapman. So I'd go into a little bit of Tracy Chapman just to keep him there. Why not? Of course. Oh, brilliant. Um, who were who were your blues folks? Who were the blues guys that and women that inspired you? I got to imagine. I grew up in Chicago, and I got to imagine Coco Taylor was very important to you. Oh my gosh! Yeah, she was a queen. The queen of the blues, yes, indeed. If you didn't do Wayne Dang Doodle, you're not a blues hmm. singer. Yeah, um, right. That's just part of it, yes. Uh, I worshipped the ground she walked on. Um, gosh, there were so many, though. Um, I guess, you know, the people that come to mind are the people I finally got a chance to meet. Coco was definitely one of them at the uh, Blues Music Awards. Um, I think a couple of years before she passed, I got a chance to to meet her and um she in fact she called me over to her table and uh, i had just performed uh, i was a tweener (laughs) you know the tweeners the people they're the people who sing in between the big acts um at the awards show and she called me over to her table her um her daughter cookie uh said that uh my mother wants to meet you and i remember walking over uh making sure that you know respected her time and I just kind of stood there and introduced myself and she says I know who you are and I want you to write for me she she pointed at me I want you to write for me wow. and I thought oh my gosh I don't know what to say she said um yes ma'am then <laughs> just walked made a beeline back to my table um and I never got a chance to do that but um uh I have run across Cookie a few times and she talks about how her mom really admired what I did. Um, Denise LaSalle. Uh, I loved meeting Denise. Um, gosh, I respect a lot of the folks who are out and doing their thing right now. Betty Levette is just one of my, she's just a hoot to hang out with, number one. And uh, on top of that, you want to see a show? That sister will give you a show. On or off the stage, that's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) So I got a chance to hang out and have drinks with Betty, and and that was was just fabulous. Uh, My sister, Shamika, you know, Shamika Copeland. Um, There's so many that I grew up listening to, but I admire a lot of the women who are uh, in the spotlight today in the blues and uh, consider a lot of them friends. You know, even Miss Bonnie Ray, I get a chance to see Bonnie when she's in town. So that brings up something that I really wanted to talk to you about, because I, I follow you on Facebook, Ruthie, and when John Prine passed away, you did just a gorgeous version of Angel from Montgomery from your house, just you and acoustic guitar, and it was it was just gorgeous. Um, what, what, did, uh, what, what do you think was special for you about uh, John Prine's music? Yeah, you know, I... It was. I never got a chance to meet him, or uh, you know, even get 
anywhere near them. Usually, I, you know, you run across people like that in this profession, maybe at a festival or something like that, but I never got that opportunity. I almost got a chance to uh, go to one of his shows. I had a ticket for one of his shows here at Bath Hall. You may remember Bath Hall here in Austin. Sure. Um, but I I got booked on the same night, and so I had to uh, pass the ticket over to a friend. Oh, His no. music, yeah, no. I I just love the way he wrote, and his music, um, it introduced me to the guitar in so many ways, and being able to just sit and sing with just the guitar uh, and, and, and entertain with just your voice and a great song, you know, and um, his writing is just uh, just immaculate, you know. It, it it goes from from something that makes you kind of giggle and 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 grin with Dear Abby to <laughs> right <laughs> to songs like Hello in There, yeah. which is just beautifully written. Um, and Angel from Montgomery. I mean, hey. I mean, come on. It just paints the picture. Uh, I love the way he writes. It's very visual. Yeah. I think I think for me, it's like those characters he writes about aren't just characters in songs to me. They're real people. I mean, yeah. not, not in a not in an abstract way either. I mean, like real people that, you know, you walk down the street and you're like, oh, that could be, you know, the woman from Angel from Montgomery. You know, it's a real person. Mm-hmm. And that's what made his to me that's what made his music so special and uh, the reason that you know of course i brought him up when you mentioned angel from montgomery it's you know bonnie Raitt. that was the entry i always think about these entry points it's like how did i get here and for for me i didn't know even though i grew up in chicago i didn't know who john prine was until angel from montgomery with bonnie Raitt. and i'm like who's this john prine guy and that's how i got there you know it's, it's interesting that you say that because I was introduced to him through a friend and I was uh, stationed in Charleston, South Carolina. I mentioned a friend of mine, Teddy Prouser. He used to play a lot of John Prine's music at a, uh, a little nightclub that he and I co- uh, would co-manage. And it was really through Teddy that I, I got a chance to hear a lot of John Prine along with uh, uh, a lot of the dead. He did a lot of, uh, Hmm. Uh, a lot of songs by the dead too. So I'm grateful dead. So yeah, he used to do a lot of hello in there and all of these tunes that John Prine wrote. Yeah. That was my introduction was, uh, managing a, an open mic there in uh, Charleston. Are you a deadhead Ruthie? <laughs> I became one, uh, you know, I really did because, uh, Teddy would, would play a lot of these songs that just, you know, just have me doing that thing where my head goes to the side and go, Huh, that's an interesting. That's an interesting way of looking at life. There, I like that. <laughs> yeah. You know, you live uh, not too far from Austin uh, these days, and of course, Austin, like the rest of the country, is pretty well closed down. But once we open back up, once this thing passes, and I live with the optimism that it will pass at some point here, what are some of the Austin places that you're looking forward to going and revisiting? Hmm. There's a lot of them, but we'll start on Sixth Street. <laughs> I can start <laughs> anywhere in Austin, but um, 
actually, you know, let's get away from Sixth Street. There's a lot of places on Sixth Street. We all know that it's that's there's reason they call it the live music capital of the world because of the um, the nightclubs and uh, in a row there, just on that one street. You can Dozens of up, them. Yeah, hop in one and just stumble into another one. Uh, but the Saxon Pub. Great spot. I, I miss going to the Saxon and just feeling like I, uh, I'm i discovering somebody. You know? Plus, it's a place where um, a, lo- a lot of Austin greats were still playing. You may remember Stephen Bruton when he was with us. He and the uh, Stephen Bruton and the Resentments, they used to play every Sunday night. And that's where Bonnie, Bonnie Raitt would come to town and she'd just sit in the front, in the front row. And oh, just, cool. Uh, yeah, just to come hear somebody play, Stephen in particular, uh, at the Saxon Pub. You never knew who was going to be at the Saxon Pub. That's the other thing. I miss Threat Gills. There was always music at Threat Gills. Now, I read that Threadgills is actually closing, which is a tragedy. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah, I was very sad to hear about that. So I guess that was before the pandemic, but still, you know, it's you want to talk about music and food. That was the place where you get both, the best of both worlds right there. What, do you, what are some of your places to eat in Austin? You got any favorites, Ruthie? You know, I really, they, there's so many new ones now, and uh, trust me, I'm busy discovering them all. (laughs) (laughs) I don't really have a favorite, I guess. Um, I guess I could go over to a certain part of town where um, Jeffrey's is over near um, a central part of Austin, and it's been there forever. Really, really nice little, little spot, hard to get in because it's so small. Um, gosh, you know, I can't, I can't pick favorites and I, I probably shouldn't if I don't, if I want to be able to be invited back. <laughs> right, right, right. You didn't mention us, Ruthie. <laughs> what are you doing in here? <laughs> right. One thing I like to ask musicians about is uh, when you're on the road, what's your regimen for eating? Cause sometimes Stuff is catered. Sometimes you have to go out. I was talking to C.J. Chenier from New Orleans. He said him and all the band, they bring hot plates on the bus, and they do their own cooking uh, with, uh, with uh, their Tony Spices, you know, when, when they're on the road. So what, what do you do when you're out, uh, when you're out on tour? That is, that's a funny story. C.J., he is so Louisiana. That's what they he do. Is, he is so fun to talk to, man. It was just it was a great conversation. I love that hot plate. Um, <laughs> gosh, uh, you know, for me, I, um, you know, I try to watch what I eat on the road because it's so easy to to do yeah. the wrong thing. So, um, but when I want, I do want to just go out and have some fun with uh, what I eat. Uh, gosh, yeah, we we have a uh, we have hospitality as most bands do. Um, you know, basically foods that you uh, expect to to have in a dressing room. What's on the Ruthie Foster rider? <laughs> well, first of all, I, I I have to have a my favorite. What do I call it? My spirit animal, gray goose vodka. <laughs> Good, excellent. <laughs> Try to keep it clean. If you got you know, if you gotta have vodka, you might as well have the best kind. 
Um, gosh, I love chips. I love chips. I don't know what it is. You know, it's like a Oprah loves bread. I love chips. I am a <laughs> chipaholic, and my band will tell you that. What's your favorite brand? I like the kettle chips. I like something with some crunch. And yeah, the those kettle are good. Chips do it for me. In fact, I, you know, I'm going to go pick up some groceries uh, in in a few hours here, and and I made sure I put chips uh, in on a, right at the end of my uh, my list there. Chips, so chips are always there, and I'm a sandwich girl. I, I will build a sandwich, and uh, and have a good time with it, you know. So I I usually ask for items like uh, you know the flat meats and cheeses, and then uh, some vegetables, you know some you know uh, lettuce and different types of peppers. I love putting peppers in my sandwiches. It's weird, I know, but I love bell peppers. So do you have them raw or are they um, uh, pickled? Yeah. What, what kind of pep- peppers you put on there? Yeah, I, I love raw. And uh, pickle is even better, really. I, I like to do that myself, actually. I do a, a pickle um, uh, relish uh, salad that I'm going to be building for uh, Mother's Day, which is coming on the corner here. So, yeah, whatever I can get my hands on when it comes to a sandwich. Oh yeah, those uh, those pickles you make the uh, refrigerator pickles, or are you actually processing them in in ball jars? You know, I, I I wish my my family would not be so proud of me, but I just buy them. Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> but I can always go to one of my 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 aunties, and she'll have she'll get me uh, so, you know the, the the kind that she's canned herself and uh, beets. I have about three three jars of beets in my pantry right now because that's another another favorite of mine. I love canned beets. When my grandmother passed away about 20 years ago, she was famous for canning everything, especially pickles. And when we went into her house afterwards, so this was in the late night, this was 99, we go in there and she's got shelves in the basement filled with jars and it must have been a hundred jars down there. And I'm looking at them and she had dated them. And I'm like, there are jars from 1977 down here. <laughs> oh, <wow. You> know, <laughs> she was, she was like a prepper before there were preppers, you know, <laughs> that is awesome. You know, yeah, you have to have that pantry, right? Yeah. With uh, all of that, that stuff in there. And I used to tell the story on stage about my big mama's pantry and how, once in a while, you hear something go pop, and you know that it's something in the pantry where the seal is releasing, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then we t- we'd go run and tell Big Mama, something popped in the pantry. And she'd pull <laughs> it out. And it was usually, usually um, the the Mustang grapes, the, the oh. juice. Okay. And you know, Interesting. And it, right. And so you knew if that popped, then that needs to be taken out. And what it usually, you know, what it turns into is wine. Yeah, I was going to say, it's probably fermenting in there. Mm-hmm. So guess what would come out for us when Big Mama got really tired of us running around? She'd pull out these little <laughs> bit of tiny glasses, and she'd give us just a little bit of taste of the whatever popped in there. This will quiet them down for a while. Yeah, we'd run around because it's mostly sugar. So we'd go into spin cycle for a while, and then we'd just pass out. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ruthie, it's just a joy to talk to you. I'm 
I'm really loving the new record. My question before I let you go is, uh, what's the plans for the future? I mean, I know everything's kind of up in the air right now, but um, what are you thinking about for uh, moving forward when this thing opens up? You know, I'm open to whatever happens. You know, we're finding out now that we are not in charge of anything. And I'm okay with that. I am way okay with that. So I'm open to whatever needs to happen. I will be ready just like my song. I'm just going to keep myself ready. Ruthie Foster, thanks for being on Destination Eat Drink. It's been great talking to you. We're looking forward to uh, telling folks about Live at the Paramount. There's a link in the show notes below, and people can uh, pick up that record, which is definitely worth everyone's time. Thanks again for being on the podcast. Thank you, dear. I told you, Ruthie has some great stories. And don't forget to get her album Live at the Paramount. I've listened to it I don't know, a dozen times since I got it. And it's fantastic. Really a great record. There's a link to where you can get a copy in the show notes. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Destination Eat Drink. While you're waiting for next Friday's episode, head on over to DestinationEatDrink.com. It's there that I've got over 40 virtual foodie tours of cities all over the world, from New Zealand to Mexico to Europe. And they're all right there at DestinationEatDrink.com. I've also got tons of shorter blog entries. I just put up an article about 10 great movies that are filmed in Sicily. And it's more than just the Godfather trilogy. There's some great ones in there that cover the entire island of Sicily. There's old ones. There's relatively recent ones, too. Check that out by clicking on blog at DestinationEatDrink.com. The podcast is distributed by Ed Silla and the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Thank you, Ed. I'm Brent Peterson, and I will see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink, a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.